And... Oh, look, I've got little blue lights. It works. It's working again. It feels like ages since we spoke, even though for everyone listening at home, it's been exactly a week. For us, it's been exactly yeah, two. indeed. Well, not exactly. It's been roughly yeah, two years. something like that. It's, uh, and, and so much has happened between our last conversation and our next conversation. Mm. Um, uh, not least of which is that I feel now a little bit like a hacker because I've, I've made this thing work that isn't supposed to work. Um, uh, oh, you got into the source code again, didn't you? <laughs> You're playing Havoc with the Matrix? Uh, the, the, there's, an, there's an application or a utility called Terminator. No, no, that's wrong. Uh, terminal. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, and uh, somebody really smart gave me the exact text to type into that sort of thing of great mystery that would allow the software that we use, Audacity, to record, to work on OS Catalina, which I'll have Mm. you know is the new Mac operating system. Or the new Mac sometimes operating system, which would be a more accurate name. Uh, But it works. I, I have to enable everything via the terminal and then it works and then when i switch it off i have to do it all again so what do you do what are you actually typing in is it a big long string or is it relatively short it's 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 uh it, well by my standards it's enormous but um by most people's standards it's quite <laughs> short I'll, i i did that really high tech thing and just copied it into a note and um, just pasted it again yeah and then just copy and paste it out so i live ladies and gentlemen it's um open space slash yeah applications slash audacity dot app slash contents slash mac os slash audacity uh and that's opening a folder what essentially what happens is that because it's through terminal um terminal will then say oh do you want to use the microphone at which point you say yes um because if you open audacity on catalina straight uh, I think what happens is the Mac OS goes, this isn't one of our programs. This is not approved. Get out of here. <laughs> you certainly cannot pin. use anything. <laughs> um, and so so there was a, a, a good half an hour of me uh, doing that, that amazing British thing. I just shouted louder at the microphone. <laughs> yeah, it'll pick it up somehow. Yeah. Get, the, the waves will get in there if you yell exactly. loud enough. If, if I keep repeating <laughs> myself and slow down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's like it's someone in a foreign country that you understand visited. Exactly. So I did all of that and <laughs> until eventually I thought, you know what, I might just Google this. Um yeah. uh, at which point it became a lot easier. So I'm feeling very tech savvy. Anyway, well, very what about good. You? what are you up to? Well, actually I was writing in the terminal today as well, but for oh. a totally unreasonable uh, unrelated reason. Um my internet was uh playing silly buggers, I believe is the technical term. Mm-hmm. And so I typed in ping, P-I-N-G, space, yep. www.google.com yeah, yeah. Uh, to try and force it to, to pick up some packets so that it would... Because for some reason, that fixes the internet whenever it's down because my Wi-Fi in the house is so cack-handedly backwards sometimes that I have, I have a one network. I have a split 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz network. Mm-hmm. And there's another one that I'm using from a... There's a whole mess of Wi-Fi going on. And so sometimes the laptop just goes, nope, 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 not playing game. Nope, not doing anymore. And so every now and again, ping on terminal helps me make it work again. So we, we were 
terminal buddies together today. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the difference being, of course, you had some concept of what you were doing. Um, I was <laughs> slavishly follow, following an instruction from some very clever person on the internet. Um, uh, equally, I could have put in a command that would have blown my computer up. I would have been none the wiser. But. Yeah, you could just delete everything without any confirmation. Just wipe all files, please. Yeah, indeed, well, yes. <laughs> the thought did cross my mind as I pressed that <laughs> magic enter button. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on with it. What are you writing with mm. an honor, boy? What did I write in the show notes? Because it's been a while since I wrote them. Ah, yes. I am writing with a Blackwing 602 in my Timber Twist, which is my kind of go-to in my, my top pocket and my jacket. Um, it's a really worn down 602 as well, so it's nice and, and rounded and stubby. Um, and it's probably, I mean, it's not even Steinbeck anymore because it's in a pencil. It's in a Timber Twist. It's in mm-hmm. a bullet pencil. So it's it's tiny, like it's stubby nubbins. Uh, so... Yeah, it's probably for the the jar soon, but I'm I'm in, eking out the last sort of inches of enjoyment from the the graphite at the minute. Uh, but I'm also writing with my Apple pencil too, which I released uh, a very tongue in cheek review about on my YouTube channel the other day. Oh, you did, and it was very good too. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the people to to whoosh over their heads and not get it and tell me that it's not made of wood, because that has happened on other videos before. Well, I said. <laughs> Takes all sorts. Um, uh, well, what, what about am I you? Doing? What am I doing? Oh, I'm I'm in the. Uh, I think we spoke about it uh, last week. The Nero's Basics, which uh, with the tartan paper. Yeah, um, the big grid. Big grid. Yeah. The the playing pitch yes, grid. That's it. <laughs> big grid. Great if you're playing computer battleships without a computer. Um, uh, and I'm using in that. I was using a Blackwing, but I'm actually back into the Mitsubishi, the nine eight five zero which is now a sort of perfect Steinbeck. Um, and yes, I suppose it's the completionist in me who's now saying, right, I want to get this done now. So I'll mindlessly doodling, I would have thought. Um, and then in my bullet journal, which is the uh, endless recorder with the Tomoe River paper, um, I'm, I, I will, I, what do you call, what do you call a gang of pelicans? Is it a, a parade a of pelicans? Troop. I think. Um, as I, uh, Completely accidentally and without any real knowledge, uh, I, uh, two of them appeared in my shopping basket at the pen show. Uh, Whoops. I've no idea how that happened. Um, well, I do. Um, I really like pelicans and I really like uh, the guys at <laughs> Niche Pens and Pure Pens who sell pelicans. Uh, and those two things combined <laughs> mean that uh, all the, the money... comes out. Yeah, well, all the money that Claire is taking over the, uh, the counter selling uh, notebooks uh, immediately goes to Niche Pens. Um, and in return, <laughs> in return, they send me whatever I can afford. So, um, I got two. I appreciate that, uh, some of this information will be lost on you, but I, I got, um, a Pelican M800. So that's quite a big boy. Um, it's, it's what you call a classically sized fountain pen, you know, the proper grown up yeah. fountain pen. What? Uh, this Chonker. is, yeah, this is in this beautiful sort of translucent blue. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's got a much better description than that, uh, and perhaps I'll look it up for the show notes. But uh, it's an absolutely lovely pen. It's one of their limited editions, uh, and uh, the 800s have the big posh nibs. So this is a gold nib that is then rhodium plated. Don't you know? Oh. Um, and because it's a big boy serious pen, uh, it's got a broad nib because I'm a big fan of getting some ink on the on the page when I'm being. <laughs> being flamboyant um 
And so that is uh, that sits next to my Sunburst Pelican, which was the uh, the M600, which is a little bit smaller, um, and is Sunburst, so it's sort of bright orange. Uh, and then my other new pen is the limited edition Ruby Red. Um, so what happens is that Pelican each year bring out a sort of celebratory ink, and uh, then they bring out a little pen to go with it. Um, Very nice. Stupidly, I forgot to buy the ink, but I dare say I will rectify that fairly quickly. Um, and this is uh, this is stunning. It's an M two hundred, so it's it's a it's a pocket pen. It's a dinky little pen, um, and it's uh, it's altogether more egalitarian. It's got a steel nib uh, rather than a gold one, um, but it is a piston filler. It's a it's a beautifully crafted German fancied pen. Um, it's it's a lot less money than the bigger boys. Um, but it's beautiful. It's this ruby red, as as you might expect, um, slightly translucent. But it's also it's got a sort of glittery finish in it that when the light catches it, mm. it, it comes across all bling. I mean, it, I posted a picture of all three um, on Instagram, uh, probably on Nero's notes. I think yeah, it will be on it, Nero's notes. And it's got that wonderful, you know, it's sort of large, medium, small, side by side, different colours. It's very swish. It looks very nice. And I'm just playing with them. I'm just writing nonsense with them so that I can write. <laughs> That's what I do every day. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, no, loving that. You can't beat a good pen. I mean, I know I know mm. you're a pencil man, but a new fancy pen is, <laughs> is quite special. Well, funny enough, and this is, this is not a – we don't have a topic area for this, but um, by the time people listen to this, it will already have passed the six-month mark before my wedding. And so Meg and I were talking about getting a pen to sign the registry and do all that stuff with. So we may be there's an episode to the, the <laughs> yeah the great pen oracle that I know. Um, uh, we'll be deciding what pen we're going to use to sign because I checked. I'm not allowed to sign it in pencil. Uh, no, you're not. No, and you've got to be careful what ink you use <laughs> as well. Oh, I didn't think about that. Brexit, Brexit ink. Use that. Sure to be a long-lasting marriage. <laughs> uh, you know there is an ink called Brexit that. Yeah, we yeah, talked about it last week. Oh, right. Okay. Um, sorry, just a slight change in order um, because um, I suddenly had a thirst. I've just just poured myself a drink. So I'll just quickly jump to drinking. Yeah, please do. Um, I'm drinking the rum that we spoke about last week or the week before or both. Uh, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Santa Teresa 1796, all the way from Venezuela, um, which was first mentioned by Teresa Hummel, who put me onto a podcast, um, whose name, I think we went through this last week, but Bartender's Buddy or something. Um, uh, the company behind it gets into uh, helping convicts rehabilitate uh, through making rum and playing rugby. So two of my favourite things. Um, <laughs> and then Ink and Dora from the Fountain Pen Companion uh, podcast. Uh, she she put me on to where I could get some in the UK. So uh, through the magic of the internet, I now have a bottle of it. I've just poured a glass of it over ice. And Ooh. it's going to be the worst podcasting ever because it's going to go quiet while I have a sip. <laughs> well? Do I say? Rather. <laughs> Rummy? Oh, yeah. Um... Oh, oh, how how deep do you want to go here? Right. The Solera technique is, uh, more traditionally, is something you do with sherry. Um, so you use 
barrels that have contained bourbon and you okay. a- yeah. age the sherry inside them. And the solera is, is this kind of sort of weird mixing process where the older barrel, half of it gets put into a newer barrel. Uh, and then it sits there for a while, and half of that gets put into another one. So there's a whole sort of chain of barrels. So your end production has some very young rum and some very old rum in it, uh, and everything in between. So it gives it a great sort of sense of complexity. And that's often used in sherry, and very unusually is done for rum. This is it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first time I've ever tasted it, this this rum. And uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's very, very. I mean, I'm not a rum drinker. I have a feeling I might be becoming one, but um, <laughs> that is really quite special. I am, I am very purposely in a moment going to put that bottle away, um, <laughs> <laughs> lest I drink all of it um, mm. and be a dribbling wreck by the end of the podcast. Um, so yes, there we go. That's what I'm drinking. Going back to the normal list, what are you watching, TJ? What am I watching? What did I watch? I watched a lot of things actually in the the interval. So I watched all of Chernobyl in one sitting overnight. Probably the best um, way to do it, I'd say. Yeah, healthy radiation poisoning. Watching that radiation sickness at two in the morning. So uh, started the first episode and then didn't say stop. Mm-hmm. And so basically all five episodes rolled through, and I went to bed at I think three a.m. or something like that. Um, it was really, really, really good. It's really dark. It's really moving it's it's very scary in a lot of ways because it wasn't really that long ago mm. um and yeah, it was it was just a brilliant brilliant show i can see why i got all the accolades i can see why people loved it it was fantastic and then a real testament to the fact that i watched it all in one sitting because i the thought of sleeping was less enticing than the thought of finishing all of this in one go wow i i it's on my list uh to watch but mm. it's the sort of thing that margaret would instantly be turned off by so i have to sort of find that yeah that uh window where i can watch it it's just a great character piece as well that the people in it and some of them are based on real people some of them are amalgamations of people that kind of streamline the storytelling but they're all very well written no one feels hollow no one feels like they're a cardboard cutout standing in to, to be a goof for something everybody is a person and everybody has a backstory and a reason and that makes it all the more moving whenever you watch the, the things unfold, you know? Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. In retrospect, uh, what else I watched was not nearly of a, I wouldn't say caliber, but it's a very different sort of feel to it. So I watched Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. which is uh, 1968, one of my all-time favorites, uh, a film that is not in any way copyrighted, interestingly enough, because uh, they botched the copyright because they changed the name last minute and then forgot to put the copyright notice on it. So basically you, I could sell that film and make money on it if everybody else wasn't already doing it. Um, I watched that again, probably the 10th time. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I have a feeling I may have started it. Whether I've ever finished it, I don't know. I, it, yeah, it doesn't black and white. Mind at all. Yeah, old school. Like the origin, not the, not the first zombie movie, but the origin of uh, Romero zombies. So what we would know is like shambling zombies from The Walking Dead and stuff. They all have their roots in Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. um, which was great. And then I watched Overlord, which was less great. It was kind of a, a World War II supernatural kind of thing going on, and it okay. wasn't bad. It's kind of a bit dumb, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was fine. And then I watched Joker as well in the cinema, and it was fantastic. Absolutely amazing. 
Oh, this is the one that's causing um, the liberal left in, in America to tie itself into knots, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those ones that, again, it's a complicated issue around... Uh, I know that there was a shooting at a cinema when they were oh, showing okay. one of the, the Nolan Batman films. And so there's... And, and I appreciate there's all kinds of things wrapped up in that. Um, the actual portrayal of it was really, really interesting because it was about mental health. It was about... Uh, the gray areas where people fall into it's not necessarily like oh look he's such a bad guy he's evil from the start look at him he's real bad he's doing bad things it's more of a um what happens when people get left behind and forgotten and uh, and treated poorly so they decide that they're going to treat people poorly and then it it doesn't affect them as much as they thought they would because they've been desensitized all these it it, it's a much deeper film that it's letting on and i think the reason I liked it so much is because I went in with very, very low expectations. Uh, I don't really like the DC universe. I think they've botched a lot of their movies. I think that they really tried to emulate Marvel in all the worst ways without really learning what they were doing that was successful. And so just chucked out a bunch of films that were subpar and really questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of went in expecting trash and then whenever you see this, again, really, really detailed character piece about a person going through something and be they good or bad, be they dark or or, or light, it's very interesting to watch that unfold. And yeah, I was captivated. It's two hours something and I don't think I blinked the entire time. It was amazing. Oh, wow. That sounds fantastic. I shall... shall... Again, one to see, but I can see why people would be concerned. There, There are issues with, I think those kind of portrayals and it's a fine line you got to walk yeah yeah i mean i'm gonna i've just written a note to myself to lower my expectations but make a point of seeing it um because yeah now i've built it up you're gonna hate it but <laughs> yeah exactly so i'll try and forget everything you said and go in there and go yeah it was it? crap another was batman garbage. movie um and then with a bit of luck uh have the same experience uh well what have i been watching well hey, as as people will know, I was in the UK for a week or so. Uh, some of that in London, uh, where I was London, uh, London uh, where I was lucky enough to see uh, the Extinction Rebellion uh, at first hand. Um, it looked uh, a bit like sort of Glastonbury, to be honest. Um, <laughs> there, there was a very very strong smell of <clears throat> marijuana. Uh, on on Trafalgar Square, um, I, I assume that that was the protesters uh, relaxing. I mean, it may have been the police, I suppose. But um, uh, it's uh, I'm slightly torn. I'm I, I'm all for uh, people expressing um, their their you know feelings, their their right to demonstrate. It's enshrined in in democracy, and I think it's fabulous. The Extinction Rebellion, if you haven't been following, they've taken an approach where they want to deliberately sabotage the running of the city. Uh, so as much as possible, they chain themselves to bridges and, and roads and close major arteries down. And, uh, and they have a series of demands that they want the government to deliver on. Um, I mean, the consequence of that is that Margaret and I walked through uh, Trafalgar Square quite late. We, we'd been to see a show, which I'll get to later. Um, and we came back and I counted police vans from 12 police forces. So as far as Cumbria, which for, for people uh, in the States, Cumbria is about as far from London as you can get and still be in England. 
Um, and <laughs> it's still like forty minutes in Texas. It's like a, a quick like gas stop in Texas, but sure. it's quite far for us in retrospect. Yeah. So uh, essentially, every police force in uh, in England uh, and Wales. I didn't see any Scots. I don't think, but that doesn't mean they weren't there. Um, had sent down reinforcements because what the way that the police were coping with this rebellion, which is determined to be for two weeks, uh, was to kettle, I use the uh, technical phrase, uh, just push people into areas where they would be less disruptive, uh, Trafalgar Square being one. you can London can work perfectly well without Trafalgar Square. Um, Westminster, however, if you block that, then it all gets a little bit complicated. So they they were corralling these people in. Um, and all these policemen obviously are, are being paid overtime. Uh, they're all away from home, so uh, the taxpayer is paying for accommodation for them. You know, quite rightly, I don't have any objection to that. But essentially, the extension, Extinction Rebellion, which is all about uh, global warming and carbon emissions, was causing enormous amounts of global warming and carbon emissions uh, and yeah. and costing taxpayer, taxpayers millions. Um, and there's a part of me that thinks, you know, could you not have run a really good social media campaign without causing any of that damage doing any of those things i don't know um and they were outside my hotel room shouting so i shouted at them um <laughs> were they calling each other by cumbria wales <laughs> no they weren't but they got called some things by me that they hadn't been called before <laughs> yeah uh, there may have been a beer or two involved in that exchange but uh, so yeah, that was that was interesting to see that. Um, there are some some quite artistic ones that have featured heavily on the news with these uh, people clad in sort of red robes, uh, with cowls and stuff, and they um, uh, it's quite creepy. Um, I'm sure it's inspired by some piece of popular culture that's completely passed me by, but uh, no, <laughs> no, nevertheless, it was quite nice. My, Margaret took some photos. We stood around like like tourists. Going, oh look, look, it's um, it's. Envi- what do you call these people? Environmentally people. Look at people. the protests. Environmentalists or something. <laughs> Lovely. Um, uh, so we did that. Uh, but we were on our way back. So the last night in London, uh, after I did all my worky-worky stuff, uh, we went to see a musical. And we went to see uh, The School of Rock, uh, based upon the movie, uh, the, the American movie, Jack Black starred in it. Um, the plot is blindingly obvious uh, within about 10 seconds of the musical starting <laughs> um, yep. y- you know exactly what's going to happen uh, it's written by Julian Fellows uh, who wrote Downton Abbey um, and is about as hell air posh English as you can get uh, and then produced by Andrew Lloyd Webber who's eh, he's done alright at this musical thing uh, so you can be fairly certain that it's going to be of a certain quality um, but the thing that made this was that all of the adults um, have sort of musical doubles in the wings. So when the guy playing Jack Black's character is uh, playing guitar, it's not really him. There's a very talented guitarist in the wings. When the kids play, however, it's them. They're doing it live. Wow. And they are astonishing. I mean, jaw-droppingly good musicians and dancers and actors and singers. I mean, I, I imagine socially they'd be a nightmare. They'd be so precocious you just want to hit them with a shovel. But <laughs> watching them on stage, they were just in- 
incredible and you you come out everybody came out of that theater bouncing it's just such a feel-good show um and reason enough to go back to london all on its own just to go and see Mm. shows like that fantastic we had we had what can only be described as the perfect london evening so we were staying uh near westminster uh don't get excited it's a, a hub by premier inn which is a way of saying that it's it's a bed and a shower put into a room too small for either of those things. Um, it's a, it's a bathroom with a bed in it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you're just sleeping and showering, it's fine to be honest. Um, and we walked um, again. This won't mean much to people who don't know London, but we walked down Whitehall, uh, which is at the end of Parliament Square. So go on to Parliament Square, walk down Whitehall, which is where you'll find 10 Downing Street, lots of government uh, buildings, very grand, very English, lovely. That takes yeah, Teresa's you, old house. Exactly. That takes you to Trafalgar Square. Forest's new digs. Yeah. Where, where you've got Nelson's Column and a load of quite smelly environmentalists. Uh, and you, <laughs> you go through that, and you, if, you, if, you, if like me, you know you way around London, uh, you go through that, and you can slip up through St. Martin in the Fields to Covent Garden, uh, which is in itself a wonderful place. And we went and had a drink in the Crusting Pipe, which is a wine bar in the middle of Covent Garden Market. Um, next time you're in London, TJ, you've got to give this a go. Uh, it's The Crusting Pipe? The Crusting Pipe, yeah. So it's in the basement level, and it's where there are classical musicians always busking. Um, uh-huh. It's a top-notch wine bar. It has some superb wines at very reasonable prices in what should be a tourist trap. Um so if you're in the now, that's where you go. And you just go sit there, have a glass of wine, listen to the, the buskers who are all, uh, most of them are musicians at the Opera House, which is five yards away, the Royal Opera House. Um, so they are extraordinarily Fantastic. good. <laughs> um, and then from there, we walked up to a place called Barafina, which is um, it's a Spanish tapas bar. Uh, where we ate all sorts of extraordinary food and tiny little dishes. You you sit at a bar and you just pick little plates. And again, they have uh, all sorts of wine. You'll notice there's a theme here whenever I, I'm involved. Um, <laughs> so I was drinking Chacoli, which is uh, Basque wine. Uh, with uh, We had Morchia, which is a sort of black pudding thing. Google it. Um, just oh, amazing food. And you fall out of that into the theatre where you have a gin and tonic or a glass of wine in my case and then go and see this amazing show walk out the sun wasn't shining it is london after all but the rain was <laughs> was mostly downwards pattering uh and <laughs> and had pretty much stopped when we left so we then walked back through sort of nighttime london you get that whole experience of going through leicester square and covent garden as the pubs are absolutely rammed and uh, it's fantastic i love london for those nights then i can't wait to be gone because (laughs) yes it's nice because it's brief yeah next morning you you know it takes you 45 minutes to go half a mile because of the traffic and the people and smelly uh, people causing demonstrations and all of that jazz so uh, it was a fantastic i had a great time Uh, and that's that's what i was watching i haven't watched anything but that what about listening you listening to anything uh, more of the NADPOD podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, but I also listened to a little bit of uh, Plumbing the Death Star, which is a it's an Australian podcast about uh, 
fictional worlds. I've talked about it before. It's like problems that you might have in fictional worlds. And it's really, really interesting. And the, the show's named after, you know, how does the plumbing work on the Death Star? You know, that, that kind of idea. I have to uh, say, not a question really, really that's ever occurred to me, but now that you've said it, <laughs> I feel I'm going to be obsessing about it. Um, it's, it's a good show. It's a very specific kind of Australian humor. Um, like they, their whole branding, right? That the, the Sandspans Radio, their entire branding is the dumbest podcast network in Australia. So that's the tone that you're going in at. You listen to an episode if you like it. It's, there's loads more. If you hate it, there's loads more. Uh-huh. Well, I shall definitely give it a go. I'm going to write it down again. What was it? Plumbing the Death Death Star. Plumbing the Death Star. Well, that rum's good, right? Uh, plumbing the Death Star. You see, you're just competing with Teresa Hummel now, aren't you, to, to curate my... my yeah, i got to curate that life for you, you know? Um, <laughs> well, uh, on that subject, I don't know if it was Teresa who first mentioned it, but it's it's been uh, the subject of m- much chat in the Slack, uh, the 1857 Slack. Um, the Missing Crypto Queen. Yes, I haven't watched this, but I have seen it come up in several places. It, it, it's and a podcast. People who mention it. Don't try and watch it. You'll be very dull. Uh, listen to it. Um, short episodes, uh, they're maybe 35, 40 minutes, something like that. I am absolutely hooked. I mean, it's being released live. So it's by, it's by the BBC. Um, and so, you know, whatever your views of the BBC, the the journalism is going to be of a pretty good level. You know, it's, it's going to be outdoing most of the nonsense that you and I listen to, let's be honest. Um, and the story itself, if somebody wrote it as fiction, nobody would believe it. <laughs> yep. um, but it's it's true, um, or well, it appears to be so far anyway. Um, and yeah, it's absolutely gripping. Uh, look it up. Uh, have a listen. The Missing Crypto Queen. I think there have been five episodes so far. So three and a half hours and you caught up. Um, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> be honest particularly as it's it's you know it's around the world of financial services which i occasionally dabble in uh and that it's it's very human and it's the mm. first time i think i've ever heard crypto uh cryptocurrencies explained in a way that most people will understand yeah um, which on its own, I think, is probably worth quite a lot of money. Um, and I'm also listening to uh, the influences of Jao Pedro Pais, um, because Apple Music thought I'd like to. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you, I have got no idea who Jao Pedro Pais is, uh, although, because he's got a funny little cedilla over his A, um, as a linguist, I can tell you that means he's probably Portuguese. Um, Can you help me with the spelling of that? Because I am hopelessly, <laughs> hopelessly flo- floundering in the it's show notes Portuguese here. or Brazilian. It's J O, and then okay, I had J A O. Okay, no, so that's it's J O J A with a cedilla, which is like a little squiggly line over the top. Yes, I I, I wrote Pedro because that's what I thought you I, said. So yeah. A. So we've got J O A O. New word yeah. Pedro. Okay, yeah, I got Pedro. That's yeah. fine. And then new word Pais, which is P. A-I-S. And uh, he, like I said, he must be Brazilian or Portuguese. And it was only literally half an hour before before we spoke that Apple Music recommended his influences. And I started listening to them. Uh, and I was hearing some sort of 
Portuguese type sambery type music uh, and then it went to Brian Adams run to you <laughs> that's his cousin <laughs> so I'm assuming that, that uh, old Jao there has got a fairly eclectic taste in music um, he's, yeah, the, he's the Portuguese Brian Adams well, could be could be he didn't <laughs> I've not actually heard him sing because uh, his influences doesn't include him uh, but I oh okay there you are uh, fair enough <laughs> Apple Music Un- undoubtedly knows what it's doing uh, what about reading? You reading anything? What am I reading? Because I've written, I've written uh, Jurgen: A Comedy of Justice, which I've read a little bit of, but not much since. I was reading um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius this mm-hmm. morning, which was nice. Wow. Uh, I've just been dabbling; I haven't got a lot of time, or I'm not making a lot of time, so I'm only catching little scraps and, and glances of reading. Yeah, I'm similar. I mean, I have to say, uh, the the pot the Porn broker joke. Um, I didn't use it in my conference speech. <sighs> I, I bottled that. But the night before, uh, they had the good sense to take me out and feed me alcohol. Um, and therefore, I was uh, in my entertainer role. And it went down very well in pre-conference. Rooms. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, yes. They were very <laughs> pleased with that. Um, Excellent. Although the, I would say that pawnbrokers tend to be very, very polite. So they may just have been humoring me. Um, yes, ha ha ha. Yes, yes, nice. yes. Let's hope he falls over soon. Um, <laughs> um, reading, yeah, I've I've written that the sun does shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, which is definitely on the iPad, and I've definitely owned it, but I've not read a word of it. Uh, but you've read the title, so you can't say that anymore. Mm, well, in the UK and since coming back, uh, it's all been very jobby jobby. So I've been reading the Money Laundering Regulations 2017, which. I don't mind telling you, is a riveting read. Uh, the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group Guidance, uh, which runs to several hundred pages. And, and once again, uh, should you be struggling to sleep, I recommend a page of that. That'll soon get you off. Um, and lots of people's anti-money laundering policies and procedures and uh, the like. Right, well, if you've still got any listeners, uh, are you drinking anything? <laughs> Uh, I've been drinking Starbucks Lungo Espresso recently. Uh, I got some little pods. They were two fifty for ten, so that's twenty five pence if you're playing at home. And they're good. They're they're not anything special. They're not anything fancy. But uh, see if you're getting a slightly taller drink. It's basically an americano. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. And twenty five p for a coffee instead of two pounds fifty is it's it's reasonable. Okay. Well, you can't know that. I d- as previously advertised, uh, I'm still, to my great surprise, I'm still drinking this rum, and I haven't bolted it. It's still lovely, but I have now put the cap on the bottle. I'm not going to mm, Well, we'll see. This is definitely a one-hit wonder, this. Because it's um, it's really nice. Cool. Um, what about buying? You've been buying? Any- uh, no, hang on. I've just looked at the show note. I'm going first. I've been buying uh, <laughs> golf shoes. Exciting. Uh, I mean, the way it works is I find some golf shoes in Cyprus, one of the golf shops, uh, either at my golf club or or one of the others on the island. Uh, I look at them. I find the right size. I go, I'm very loyal to a particular brand. Um, And I go, oh, these are, yeah, these look like, how much are they? 130 euros. Mm, Okay. Let me think on that. Then I go home, uh, buy them off a UK website for, 65 pounds including shipping to cyprus <laughs> um, now if you don't follow currency movements um that's essentially i suppose something like 
80 euros versus 130 euros so uh, yeah. a significant saving uh golf gear in cyprus is really expensive uh so while i was doing that i also bought some golf gloves because i'd go through those like nobody's business because it's hot uh and golf balls because i'm not very good at golf and i tend to lose the ones i've got <laughs> um and i did buy a keyboard um not a super duper uh tj cosgrove oh. patented <laughs> keyboard chunk 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 um but i was gonna hit the space bar which would have stopped this recording so i'm oh, very glad i didn't <laughs> oh there we go um uh no i got uh it's by uh who's it by i was gonna say kensington but it's not kensington it's um it's a multi-device keyboard because i have my ipad here and i quite like working on that and i have my sort of laptop set up as a clamshell thing um I like using a small keyboard, but the Apple mm-hmm. one, to switch from one device to another, you have to unpair it with the first. Ugh. And then, yeah. the, I mean, it's doable, it's just clunky. But the, the problem that I then have is that I turn my computer on or I walk into the room and hit my trackpad and it asks for me to type in my password and I can't because there isn't a keyboard paired with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to take the thing off the shelf, unclamshell it. Uh, yeah, honestly. So yeah, it's like if you accidentally, if you have a, a Bluetooth mouse, and you turn off Bluetooth, you can't turn the Bluetooth back on without the keyboard command. Yeah, because you can't move the mouse because yeah. the mouse is Bluetooth. It's it's the, <laughs> I've done before. It's the same sort of problem as that. Um, it's really really <laughs> annoying. And you, the thing that's annoying <laughs> is you knew it was going to happen. You did yeah. it anyway. And you just feel stupid. Yeah, and then you curse yourself. Yes, that, that's pretty much what happens. Um, so I've got one of those, uh, I believe it's now now with Claire. Uh, and I dare say she is putting together, uh, it's a Logitech, there you go. Uh, Logitech, no, okay, I, I did think it was probably something like that. The Logitech K380 multi-device Bluetooth keyboard. So I can, there's a little button so I can switch from one device to the next. Uh, and I could even type on my phone if for some reason I wanted to do that. Um, that's that's been my shopping. Not very exciting, but there you are. Yours, on the other hand, certainly going from the show notes. Uh, that I, I I have to hear this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to read to you what the show note says. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Word for word, this is wedding suits. Dot 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 green. Over to yeah, you. Yeah, pretty TJ. much sums it up. Hmm. I mean, it does what it says in the tin. I, with six months to go, I've started looking at what I'm going to wear at the wedding because I'm told I have to wear something different. Uh, and yeah, the idea of a black suit didn't really appeal. The idea of a gray suit didn't really appeal. The idea of a blue suit didn't really appeal. And so the natural conclusion was a sort of forest green suit. And it should arrive tomorrow. And we'll see if it's what I think it is. But I mean, I'm not set, but... Be- before we what? go any further with this, has this yeah. plan been put through the beloved Meg? Oh, Meg, Meg is, I, I would, she's not the architect of this plan, but she's certainly co-authoring. So she's more than on board. Okay. Yeah. A forest green suit. Yes. Yes. Wow. And sort of like forest green and mustard are going to be colors going forward. So like a hot dog in a forest. Imagine that. Mm. I I just had an unfortunate flash of a potential wedding dress, which I I'm guessing is probably not going to happen. 
I, I can't see. Well, but she's threatened that it's lime green and that it's lemon, so I don't know. Well, li- not lime green it. and lemon's better it. than what I just pictured, so... <laughs> wow. We shall green see. Um, Are you going to make your best man yeah. wear one? I think they may be in waistcoats, but I haven't decided yet. I assume... Oh, Ever, it's groomsmen, yeah. isn't it? Is it your brothers and, and your best buddy? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make them suffer, TJ. Make them suffer. <laughs> I think there may be bow ties. I'll update. We'll do a we'll do a oh. wedding episode in a couple more months. Just one. Just, just well, we can do one main one, and then we can do fifteen spin-offs as I gradually lose my mind the closer we get. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Well, I love the the way that you're putting so much thought into it. I think it's brilliant. Because um, <laughs> I did, it was fairly straightforward for me. I received instruction. Um, you'll be wearing the kilt. No, not that one. This one. Right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's straightforward. That's very helpful. It was great. Lovely. Yeah. I got to go, go and sort your suit. I'm like, but I, mm, mm. what? Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, I like green. So we'll see. I've got two suits coming tomorrow, I think. Um, and I'll be able to return them both or one of if I don't like them. So We'll see. I'm going to try them on. I'm going to see what I think. And then we'll make a decision from there. They could both go back and I could go with something more traditional. But sure. I like the idea. I like the vibe that it has. And it's not going to be really, really super formal. It's not going to be really hoity-toity. That's not about, that's not what we're about. So I'm interested to see where it goes. And honestly, it doesn't matter. None of these things matter. The, the, the actual ceremony is the bit that matters that one little legally binding bit is the only thing that has to go right. Everything else can can go tits up and who cares? It's it's going to be fun no matter what. But, you know, I'm trying something a little bit different. Yeah, so we'll see. Fantastic. I think it's a great idea. Well, I reserve judgment on the suit, but... In the, theory. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that there's some thought going into it and some, some an open-minded approach. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Meg ordered our invitations today. Mm-hmm. So they were designed. Um, I did a little bit of a pass on them. Megan did most of the heavy lifting. She's a better designer than I am. Uh, so she's designed them that lovely. So you'll you'll see one of those soon enough. They were ordered today. So they should be with us by time of release. It may be on its way to you or it may be on its way to Claire. We'll see. Oh, fantastic. Very good. Um, right. Parish notices then. Mm, what did I write? Did I write anything? You did. Uh, video schedules. I did. So yeah, my new video schedule is working out really nicely. What, I've now, what software are you using for that schedule? It looked pretty cool. when There was a video on it. It's called it? Notion. Of course it Yeah, is. it was a guy called, was it David Thomas? YouTuber made a video about this. Um, it's an app called Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. Uh, basically a little bit like Airtable, sort of relational databases and that kind of thing. But you can make schedules, you can make it, you can make it do whatever you want. But I made it do a release schedule and a planner for videos. Sort of like a Kanban rack system. Um, and it's good. It's very useful. It's, it's a good way to visualize where things are. Uh, so there's a screenshot of that up on, I think it was Patreon I put it up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new schedule, and I'll, I'll probably do a video on this at some stage, but Basically, instead of trying to fit it in in my week, which is already quite busy, I'm taking uh, one Sunday uh, every other week, so two Sundays a month, and dedicating that to filming. And then all of my editing now happens on the go on the iPad. And all of the sort of upload ephemera, all the stuff that goes around uploading and thumbnails and uh, making things live and putting playlists, all that 
junk that goes into video making. It just kind of happens in the gaps. So they only take maybe 10, 15 seconds of function, but it's making sure I can, oh, I'm on the train. I'll quickly jump on and make sure that video is good to go. Yeah, happy days. So instead of like my upload rate for videos is maybe oh, one a month, mm. if even sometimes it wasn't great. And that it bugged me for a long time. I didn't want it to be like that, but I'm trying to balance a full-time job, a part-time passion project sure. and you know, all kinds of stuff floating around at the minute. So I'm trying to make sure that I make enough time for things without burning myself out. Mm-hmm. And so instead of feeling bad all week because I'm not doing something, I thought, well, actually the iPad means I can do the edits anywhere. I can do the work uh, in the living room while watching TV. I can sit and do a first pass of an edit. So that was the thing that was causing me stress, not being able to do the work. So if I batch all the filming, you know, if I have the scripts written, if I have the shot list written and I can go and film it on one big batch, then editing's a lot easier. So two Sundays ago, I filmed three videos. Uh, I've released one of them. That was the Apple Pencil 2. I have another one literally uploaded and waiting to go for this Friday, which will be uh, Friday just passed by the time this episode comes out. And I have another one that I started the edit on. So one Sunday has given me three weeks of videos, which will let me tentatively saying I'm moving to a weekly schedule, but we'll see if it's sustainable because I've only got three at the minute. Yeah. But certainly Fortnightly is good the overhead is less. Yeah. But there's more videos anyway, uh, and it lets me do a lot more a lot faster. So we'll see if the quality is maintained and the, the stress isn't too much on me and it, I still like it in another couple of weeks. This will probably be the way I make videos going forward. And... Largely, I think it's healthier. I think it's better. I think it's better for the the end product. I'm enjoying the videos I'm making a wee bit more because they're less stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm able to put them out and they look good and people can see them. And then a lot of the way YouTube works at the minute is based on how often your content comes out and what it's like. And there's a lot of nonsense in the algorithm. But uploading weekly is a lot more beneficial than uploading sporadically on different days. Sure. So we'll see watch this space but certainly i'm feeling better about it and the end result is you know people on patreon get to see it a week early uh, and people who are on youtube get to see it uh, much more often you know it's it's weekly instead of bi-monthly yeah yeah it's excellent so it's good yeah it's, I'm, I'm gonna certainly have a look at notion i mean i um i don't i don't do video i mean i did one or two and then decided that i definitely wasn't gonna do any more but um uh, I do release blog posts, and uh, it's it's amazing how quickly that can mount up. So I do somehow or other. I, I've got myself to doing four a week, and mm, that's quite a yeah. It's quite an undertaking. Yeah, I do I do three on my blog um, at Stuttgart and one for Nero's Notes, and I don't know they they range from about like three hundred to eight hundred words a go. So it's a reasonable amount of writing. It's actually really easy to do. Uh, in if you do it as you're doing it there, sort of batch it and sit down and go, okay, yes. I'm, I'm going to first draft. Here are some, some because uh, I have some index cards with ideas, things that I wanted to talk about. So I go and do, do all the first drafts and maybe take photos and then another time I'll do a first pass edit. And as you say, you can do that you know, uh, with an iPad sitting anywhere, if you like. Yeah, so by the pools, sit in the, on the train, it's, it gives you that flexibility. Yeah, and I think it's the batching that really helps. That... um just you get into a, a mindset or I get into a mindset of, right, okay, I'm drafting. So bang, 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 which is different from the, the mindset that you have when you're editing or when you're doing, as you say, the ephemera, the sort of 
fiddly bits of making sure that it posts at the right time in the right places and that the picture sits right and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm doing all that through a calendar, just through a normal, um, I can't remember if it's an eagle, uh, an eagle, <laughs> an iCal or, or a Google <laughs> calendar. But it's, it's a big paper one on your fridge <laughs> that you put big red X's through, isn't that right? Uh, no, I do have a little field notes one on my wall. Um, but yeah, mm. uh, it, it gets a little bit complicated trying to manage multiple calendars on that. So, um, yes, using, using an electronic one is fine until I then open my, uh, phone because I want to know, you know, when we've got a dinner arrangement and I get hit with 72 blog posts that need to be edited, dra- drafted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, wow, help. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have a little look at Notion because I used to use a thing called, yeah, it's, it's really good. Co-schedule, which was tied into, my WordPress blog and everything. Um, and then CoSchedule went from, uh, we're going to charge you uh, a little bit each month to give us all of your money all of the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. No, we're going to have to. No, thank that. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for asking, but no, I'm off. Um, so yeah, I should look at that. Uh, well, my parish notice is I'm, I'm back in Cyprus, which we may have, may have already touched upon. Uh, it was, we got off the plane and it was, I think, Thirty-two degrees or something, um, and we ah, and we welcome home. Yeah, we take we taken <laughs> off, and it was about I don't know fifteen. So uh, there was a significant difference, and then it got really hot. We've just had a mini heat wave. Um, we've had sort of uh, I suppose September weather in the middle of October. It was thirty-six degrees yesterday, um, which is I mean, that's properly warm, uh, particularly if like me you're wandering around a golf course. Um. But that's nice. It's nice to be back. Um, by the same token, all of those things that you don't worry about while you're away, you have to worry about when you come back. So all of the lights in my kitchen are blinking. Um, oh, I mean, they're horrible, horrible lights anyway. That the, the kitchen roof has a false ceiling. But I mean, I may be wrong here, but false ceilings, wouldn't you generally put them in flat? This is a. F- I mean, I would. This is a false ceiling <laughs> that mirrors the angle of the eaves, so it sort of lowers oh. the roof, but at an angle. And within that, within that false ceiling, there are sort of, if you could imagine the sort of, you know, large square approach of the nineteen eighties and nineties. A couple of those squares are actually four mini fluorescent tubes with the. Um, associated starter motors, which, I mean, those things were put on earth to just wipe people out. There, there's some sort of <laughs> weaponization of lights because if the tube doesn't blow, then the starter motor does. So you get this blinking almost perpetually. And we've got, uh, we've got two of those in the kitchen and both of them are now misbehaving differently. Um, Mm. So that's that's fun because you can't get to them without going up a ladder. The wiring, I once decided that everything just needed a bit of a twist and a fiddle. Um, and uh, well, let's just say my hair stood on end. Uh, and I've, <laughs> oh, I've, I've been very, very cautious around it ever since. Yeah, you do that with a par off. Jordan, <laughs> that's a that's a big breaker switch off moment. No, but you know this is just moving a moving a light bulb around and a and a starter. You know, I wasn't sort of plugging my finger into the mains or anything, although apparently I was. Um, yeah, you did. well, you did. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I, I suspect that I'm, I may 
keep looking at that and, and then eventually go, I'm going to get somebody who knows what they're doing to come up with something here. You, uh, you can get LED tubes. You basically take out the driver and you replace the tube with an LED that runs at the same voltage. Um, so you you could do that. Have a look. The idea of getting those posted to Cyprus is probably uh, migraine inducing, but it is potential. Yeah, no, I, I can probably get them here. I I need to go down and to the light shop and say, look, this is my issue. Um, I I have a wallet here. Uh, resolve my issue, please. <laughs> um, I just yeah, get rid of take this card and bash it against the problem until it goes away. Yeah, I mean, not only that. I mean, those fluorescent tubes they throw off a horrible light, and it's not nice. Um, <laughs> And as we're going into winter, you know, it becomes more of an issue. Um, I, I, yeah. I dare say we haven't noticed because we haven't had the lights on for four months. Um, anyway. So, yeah, all of that stuff is is raising its ugly head. I mean, I was at a pen show uh, in Blighty um, mm, and yeah. bumped into uh, to several people who sent their regards to, to TJ. Ah, um, oh, thank you very much, everyone. Fans of the show. Um, uh it was it was a really interesting show. It's the first London show that I've done uh, in the traditional sort of sense. The traditional show is in October. Mm. Um, I did the spring show this year, um, which was a, a new innovation in March. Uh, but this was the first sort of the big one mm. um, in the same place as the, as the spring show. So uh, I knew my way around, and I was in fact uh, staying at the location. So. Uh, that made things a little bit easier. Um, it was very well organised, and the first thing that happened was you got your your lanyards and all of that good jazz. I, I had obviously a, a a custom lanyard designed by your good self, in fact, which I <laughs> I, I took with me and said, "No, no, no, I I have I have here a lanyard." Um, obviously, people won't know, but uh, TJ had one made for me that says "Executive Stuart Lennon, Executive Pen Pusher." Um, <laughs> So, so I used. To, I have an executive pencil pusher one as well. Yeah. So, we, when next time we meet up, we can be twinsies. They, they, It's going to take off. You know that. Um, so, um, in that was a little letter, uh, essentially saying that the guys who run the uh, UK pen shows uh, had sold the UK pen shows, uh, mm. and so now some other guys run it. Um, Two uh, very nice fellows who are, you know, long-term exhibitors. Uh, and they also run the Newcastle Pen Show. Um, I suppose the famous one in, in pen circles will be will be John Twiz, who, um, who who makes his own fountain pen brows. Uh, very nice they are too. Um, and they're taking over sort of the UK pen shows with immediate effect from the next one, pretty much, whenever that might be. Uh, so that was that was kind of bittersweet, as it were. You know, it was great for them, and you you looked at the guys who were handing over Jeremy and Ian, who are both, you know, I'm sure they won't mind me saying, getting on a bit, um, uh, but who, you know, they've 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 done a lot of really good stuff for for the sort of community at large, the stationary community at large. Uh, these guys, uh, I don't think they've really ever made any money out of this. Uh, I, I'm sure they've put in an awful lot of work. Um, and they're they're now standing aside and letting letting someone else take it on. So that's, I, I suppose, quite exciting. Um, the show itself, uh, I think we've spoken about this before. It's you get this sort of mad influx and rush of the quietest, most politest people. Um, you know, very much uh, introverts, 
feel, I think, a little bit intimidated by it. And I don't blame them, to be honest. I'm intimidated by half of the, the vendors. Uh, because the, the, the world of vintage pens is... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Weird. Um, it's <laughs> it, it's something that you look at and you think, how do I start with this? Where do I... you know, What's my entry point? And I mean, I know pens. I, I don't pretend to be an expert, but I know my way around pens. And I'm, generally speaking, not not considered a shy person. Uh, but it's... Whew, you're faced with, you know, 800 vintage pens. None of them have got any prices on them. The first thing I'm it's doing... It's not a good sign. If, you, if you've got to ask, well, <laughs> it's not a good sign. Well, the first thing that I'm doing is looking and going, oh, I wonder if I know what any of the brands are. You know, and you, you can stand there and say, have you got any sailors? And they go... Yes, there's 72 of them, four inches from your left hand. Ah, yes, of course there are. Oops. Um, Would it be this left hand or <laughs> this left hand? <laughs> um, so you get all these people who come in, and uh, I, I suppose it's it's part of the cost of running um, uh, Instagram accounts where you keep putting your face on it, is that people come in, Stuart, hi. Um, hello. Hello. Yeah, hi. Person. Yes, you, you have me at a disadvantage here. Um, and then uh, then they say, it's it's John. And you go, oh, hi, John. And then finally they give you the name that you know them by, which will be their either Instagram handle or their Twitter handle. And so they go, oh, no, no, it's Dinky Winky. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> and and you, you suddenly start, you know, in my mind, I'm then... Yeah. I'm putting together comments on a Facebook post uh, to purchases on Nero's notes to <laughs> letters that we've received uh, 1857. I'm putting the three together. Oh, okay, I I now know who you are. Um, but no, loads of people came up and were very kind, very nice. Uh, we sold lots of stuff. Um, we, uh, for us, pen shows are hard now because we used to sell a lot of knock, which, um, as previously discussed, uh He's not providing to retailers anymore. Now, we have some other pen cases and things that we're now selling, uh, which are great. Uh, and from a customer point of view, this is all really good news because the ones that um, that Brad was, was supplying for us, we were selling at you know, anywhere from 45 up to, to £90. Um, whereas these ones that we're bringing in from Japan start at £8. And I think the most expensive mm. one goes to 30 uh, you know, they're not directly comparable, and I'm not suggesting anything along those lines. But from a point of view of a customer, they do the similar job. Uh, from the point of view of the retailer, we've got to sell a lot of £8 pencil cases to, to make up for not selling a load of £50 knock pen cases. Um, so it, it remains a challenge for us to make pen shows work because uh, we're selling uh, very low unit prices notebooks you know are not being sold for 500 pounds uh whereas you know some of the fountain pens are going for astonishing amounts of money i mean multiple thousands uh some of them Oof. um I, there are plenty going for much much less than that too but um yeah there were some very posh nakayas and um sailors and king of pen and, yeah, some really good stuff changing hands uh Quite often between the dealers, and that that's my favourite part of the show is watching some of the dealers trading where they they go round to each other's stuff. Oh, okay, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Yeah, I'll take those. Give me a price for those. 
and there's some sort of rapid abacus work goes on uh, and then a huge bundle of 50 pound notes comes out of somebody's pocket <laughs> um, and and even better is then if if we're at uh, you know post show drinks or pre show drinks and people say oh so so what do you do oh anti money laundering professional uh everybody just goes very quiet I mean that <laughs> that tends to happen a lot anyway, but um, particularly people who've got pockets full of fifty pound notes find it find it a little bit threatening. I think. Um, but the the show itself was fantastic fun. Um, uh, uh, Dave was there, Big Dave, who's still listening because we haven't gone to the topic yet, so it's over an hour. Um, yeah, Dave Tubman and I had a chat. Uh, we we tried desperately to hook up for a beer and then never quite managed it. Um, because well, he works more than you and I put together, I think. Um, uh, I did go out for a couple of drinks with a couple of people, uh, sort of post pen show. We did some, some compare and contrast on the purchases. So, uh, penultimate day, if you should go and check out his YouTube channel, uh, he does loads of really nice reviews and is a lovely fella. Uh, too many pens. Um, I think I can, I can say that without giving away OPSEC. We went for a, a few beers, by which I mean I had beers and he had water, he's a teetotaler. Um, but some really interesting conversations. And yeah, just it's a really good show. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was it was busy enough without getting too um, too busy at any point. Lunchtime was a bit bit of a stretch, but we managed. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens next year where in theory there will be three London pen shows. Uh, two from mm. from the the UK pen shows, uh, and yeah. and the the new boy on the block, the international pen show, which is coming in June, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think inevitably, for Nero's, we will become very London centric because well, it's got airports, um, and also because you know the the economics of of the shows. For us, real the real benefit was meeting customers. Uh, and being able to put faces to names and stuff uh i think i think we probably sold enough to cover claire's costs um uh, and you know we all had a great time so that's fine but uh it's certainly not a profitable uh thing for us to be doing yeah um which you know there you go uh but no i had a fantastic time uh and then went off and did sort of big grown-uppy work for uh which was profitable so i can't I can't complain. Uh, and uh, Mrs. Lennon had a lovely week with uh, with her family. She sort of caught up with sisters, and uh, and then it, we we hooked up together at the end of the week to go and see a show. It was a, it was a lovely trip. Uh, we came back. Spice had been staying at home. We had house sitters uh, who were looking after her, and uh, yeah, she, she was quite literally double the size when we got home. So. <laughs> well looked after yeah i'm pretty sure she had those people uh well not eating out of her hand but she was eating out of theirs i think was probably their hand yeah (laughs) Uh, so she's she's now uh she is now on a strict diet and getting lots of walks um but there you go that that was the uh, the, that was a full pen show review in uh, less than 10 minutes fantastic there you go Right. You actually touched on the topic. I, I thought you were going to segue, but then you gave us some really good info on the pen show, so I, I'll let you away with it. But mm-hmm. you kind of touched on the topic a little bit earlier. Just You just opened, you cracked the door open just a little bit, and we saw what it was, and then you closed it again. Well, you know, I mean, there's still things that need to happen. There's there's Clearly, there's the three-pin plug. 
that needs to happen mm. before we can get into talking about those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm now remembering where where I opened the door a crack. Um, but yes. Um, okay, so the three pin plug, which we'll do very briefly because everybody's heard it before. Uh, I'm Stuart Lennon and can be found at stuartlennon.com, uh, where I blog, as previously mentioned, three times a week. Uh, you can become a member at stuartlennon.com, which is a huge expense. It'll be second probably to your mortgage. Uh, it's, it's £12 a year. Um, which is uh, it's a way of me funding some of my writing, to be honest. Uh, I also write at Nero's Notes, where, surprisingly enough, you can buy all sorts of notebooks um, and quite a lot of 1857-branded merchandise. Mm. Um, what about you, TJ? Where can people find you? Mostly YouTube. My name is TJ Cosgrove, and I make Wooden Graphite, which is a YouTube channel about pencils and paper and notebooks and writing and analog and ephemera and all the good stuff that we talk about. Uh, there are videos up there now about uh, graphite pencils, about Apple pencils, about uh, Halloween pencils. I think last year, several years ago, I made a, a spooky Frankenstein pencil spoof thing, which is really dumb, but really, really fun. So there's tons of videos about the stuff we talk about on youtube just waiting for you to explore so if you listen to the podcast or you, this is your first episode and you've never seen one of my videos or you've watched one or two but you haven't haven't really deep dived go and deep dive do me a favor boost those numbers this month go and watch and if you like the videos jump on to patreon yeah give me give me a dollar a month and i'll make more videos that's that's my promise to you um but i make videos about pencils by and large tldr Cool. And the, well, the third pin, the earth is the, uh, support directly of 1857. So, um, TJ and I make this, uh, podcast because we love it. Um, uh, we try and fund it through, um, d donations, merchandise, sales, uh, and anything that can't be done through that is, is picked up by Nero's, um, in the hope that obviously people will listen to this podcast and then go and buy things from Nero's notes. However, should you wish to support us directly, uh, you're more than welcome to. You can go to uh, 1857.co.uk uh, and there's a little button with a dollar sign symbol in the middle of it. Press that button uh, and well, you can work out the rest. Um, otherwise, you can use the link in the show notes to go to Audible. Uh, this is if you're in the United States. Uh, and you can get yourself a free book, a free audiobook. Uh, and in getting yourself a free audiobook, you can, uh, well, give us some money, which is always greatly appreciated. You pay for four episodes. One free audiobook for you pays for the hosting for four episodes of the podcast. So even if you put the audiobook in the bin, the metaphorical digital bin, go and do it just to save us the, the hosting fees on one month of podcast. Indeed. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say that actually is once you get into audiobooks, they are very addictive. They're really good. Yeah, they're really, really good. Um, uh, the other one is uh, we mostly um, we're interested in seeing uh, whether there are people out there who are as mad and as daft as we are and interested in the same things as we are. So uh, we'd like people to hear about the podcast. Um, you can uh, mm -hmm. you can telephone people and say, Oi, you listen to that podcast, 1857? Or you could do something on social media or you could... I don't know, look across the breakfast table and talk to your significant other about it. Or you could post an iTunes review if you like. Um, but spreading the word about us uh, really helps us get uh, higher audience numbers, which helps with algorithms and all of that exciting. I don't know what any of that means, but TJ tells me I've got to say it. 
It's very important for reasons I won't explain. There you go, you see. That's enough plugging. I mean, it's a hundred and it's one hour and seven minutes. One, one hour and eight minutes. <laughs> and we've still not got to the topic. I mean, I could at this point say, let's just change the topic. We'll call it the pen show. We can go and have a drink. Yeah, Perfect. call it done. Just, just, yeah. Bang. Kill the episode here. Hard cut. No. <laughs> what we're actually going to do is touch back on that. That, uh, that what I started. Yeah. Uh, TJ came up with the name of this. So, what are we talking about tonight, TJ? Today's topic is something that came to me uh, unbidden, and I thought it might be interesting, it might not. And I, I think it's possibly somewhat single-sided. You haven't written any show notes, so it could be that you have nothing to say, or it could be that you have lots to say, but it's it's being redacted for uh, the purposes of a, a good reaction on my part. But what's in a name, and names in general? And you touched on it. A little bit with your thing about not knowing who people were until they give you their, you know, Tinky Winky, La La Dipsy and such and such username from Instagram. And you went, oh, of course, it's you with the, you know, the, the cat sitting on top of a fence. That's your picture, mm-hmm. not the person I see before me. Names. The, They're weird, aren't the, they? Well, the one thing I would point out to you at this point is that your redacted show notes are evidence uh, that iOS 13, Catalina... Not going quite as well as everybody would hope. <laughs> so. Yeah, I did see some mixed reviews, we'll say. Yep. Can you see my show notes that I've written? Yes. So my uh, my, you sent me a show note, which I opened on my phone and wrote some notes. Uh, I then mm-hmm. opened the show note that you'd sent me on my computer, which didn't have my notes. So I then... Huh copied the notes that I'd made or uploaded or shared the notes that I'd made with my computer, uh, which is now showing all of the notes that you're making uh, and my notes, but you're not apparently seeing my notes on the topic. <laughs> so clearly it's not going terribly well. Um, yeah. but I'm sure that Apple will get that sorted out. Um, but yes, I can see the last note I can see from you is 1857 merch. There you go. Uh, okay, you're up to date. Uh, I've just done and a couple done of lines, some nice colors as well. Yeah, a couple of lines. Oh, it's very, very colorful, I have to say. Um, and you've got the name of the crafting pipe right, which is important. Uh, it's very good. Right? <laughs> I did wonder. <laughs> it's good to know you're spell checking me in the background. Well, there you go. <laughs> Only the names of the bars and restaurants, oh boy. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, what, what I'd written in, in the names thing before you, before you, um, I don't know, possibly reveal all. Um, I this is a life hack, everybody. So hashtag life hack uh, for all you youngsters out there. Um, if I'm reserving restaurants, uh, if I'm reserving restaurants where where I'm known, then uh, I reserve them under the name of Stuart because Stuart is my name. Uh, it's not terribly complicated, is it? Um, but if I'm phoning up uh, a restaurant that I haven't been to before or uh, one for something a, a little more formal, shall we say? Uh, I put on my my best English accent. So I start um, trying to swallow my words a little. And if you can imagine Prince Charles keeps his mouth very, very flat. You talk like that. And when they say, and what name for the reservation, sir? I say, Cornelius Ponsonby Smythe. So my, 
my alter ego for restaurant reservations is Cornelius Ponsonby Smythe. And the reason that I do that uh, is that you're playing purely to people's prejudices and expectations. Cornelius never gets a table next to the toilets. <laughs> if if there is a premium table, Cornelius gets it because Cornelius sounds like he's got money. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that's a good thing or a fair thing. I'm just saying that it works. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Ponsonby Smythe, your card appears to be stolen from a Mr. Lennon. <laughs> well, one time in Budapest, we went to a very posh uh, Indian restaurant uh, for, for I think it was New Year's Eve, actually. And they kind of threw me because I'd booked a table for four of us. Uh, and they, having taken my name, they then asked for everybody else's. So I invented three more <laughs> aristocratic... <laughs> English names, and given that the, lady something, well, the two ladies that were attending were were Irish, and therefore didn't appreciate uh, having aristocratic English names. English aristocrat, yeah, um, I can see why that would be contentious. Well, the the, uh, the Indian restaurant, God bless them, they had cards prepared, so so they, they, they had name plates, and the spelling of Ponsonby Smythe on its own was a work of art. <laughs> Um, and I just, I mean, it, oh, it got the evening off to a terrific start as these Indian restaurants, <laughs> uh, so these Indian waiters are trying to, to cope with these names that, you know, we found utterly unpronounceable and they're supposed to be our names. <laughs> that is absolutely marvellous. I don't think I could have constructed a better opening to this episode. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's a life hack. I mean, I, I know of lots of people who, who do use alter egos for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, most of which are, you know, far more sensible and intelligent than the one that I've just quoted. But that's the only reason I've ever had one. People have said to me, you know, are you going to write under a pseudonym? Well, no. I mean, but writing is one of the most egotistical (laughs) pursuits that there is. (laughs) Um, I mean, all writers pretend not to be egotistical, but by definition, it's an egotistical pursuit. So, um, you know what? I can't imagine why I'd ever want to pretend it was someone else's name. Uh, but for restaurants, I think it's very, very handy. And the point that you raised, actually, a very valid one, has never come up. Nobody has ever said, "But your credit card says Stuart." Uh, mm. I'm, I'm sure there must be some people who thought of it. Oh, don't worry, I'm an anti-money laundering specialist. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm stress testing your system. Trust me, I'm in compliance. <laughs> you feel <You're> fine. <laughs> Oh, this has been the evening of, I thought I had something relatively interesting, maybe a little funny. And the the Slack group, Chris Allen Jones posted some stuff about this topic that blew my stuff out of the water. And you've completely usurped me with the best story that we've had thus far. Well, I've just, I've just opened the Slack because I, I, I did sort of put it out there. Um, you know, what, what's everybody's uh, nom de guerre, as it were. And um, just to see what they came out with. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, quite a lot of uh, good good lord the slack's gone banana since i lost it anyway um so so what do we have (laughs) yeah chris allen jones was very upset wasn't he um (laughs) quote chris jones is close enough to a fake name i told my mum she may as well have called me john doe (laughs) bitter bitter there chris a little bit um and then what else do we have come up oh oh yeah okay 
I, I want to know where Chris Allen Jones went to school. <laughs> did you read this one? Did you? I went to high school. With I did. Seven yeah. other Chris Joneses, two other Christopher Allen Joneses, one Christopher Allen Jones. I can only conclude that Chris is in fact Welsh. And that was going to school in Merthyr Tydfil and everybody was named Jones. Um, um, again, this is a reference that's going to fly over your head and probably 98% of the, the audience, but there's 2% of the old crusties out there who are going to know exactly what's coming now. Uh, the movie Zulu, have you seen it? Uh, no, it's the one with the the red uniforms? Yes, he says, wildly taking a stab. Yes, no, they they are. Uh, it's it's a true story. Um, uh, it's it's about uh, an an incident in well, uh, around about the Boer War um, or the Zulu War, and uh, Rourke's Drift was a heroic defence of a sort of an outland cattle station by very few British soldiers against vast hordes of of Zulu uh, warriors. And it was a Welsh regiment that, or not, it wasn't a regiment, but the few men that were there all belonged to a Welsh regiment. Uh, and they were all, or many of them were Jones. And so they all went by their numbers. So there was Jones 724, Jones 816. Um, and uh, I mean, it's a great movie. It, it, it's an, an incredible story. I mean, it was, you know, there were more, more uh, Victoria Crosses given out for that engagement than any engagement previous. Uh, because uh, it, I think the odds were, you know, 30 to 1, 40 to 1, 50 to 1, something like that. It was something outlandish. Um, and certainly in the movie, whether it's happening in real life or not, the, the Welsh being Welsh, uh, assaulted the Zulus not only with Lee Enfield rifles but with close harmony singing um, and there's <laughs> there's some, some wonderful lines in it when the Zulus are chanting from sort of all around the hillsides a sort of menacing African chant and you think this is all going to get a bit messy and the English officer who um, turns to the sergeant, the Welsh sergeant who's very Welsh and says do you think you can match that singing? He said, well, they're very good mind, but, well, their baritones are much better than their tenors. Yeah, we can match that. And suddenly you get the Welsh boys singing Men, men of Harlock about them. Anyway, I, I, I digress. <laughs> Look up the movie. It's it's a classic. Michael Caine is in it. Um, Michael Caine? Yeah, uh, where he never says the line that is is always quoted, but the line that's always quoted is, don't point that bloody spear at me. Um, he, he, <laughs> he doesn't actually say it, but he would have said it. Um, he plays a very sort of effete English officer um, who's sort of completely bailed out by a gritty engineer. Um, what year was that film? Oh, I'm going to stab at early 70s, maybe late 60s. Uh, I'm not going to stab for long. I'm going to write 1972 well, I, and then fix it in post. I, I'm already, as we speak, um, looking it up because I should know that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, for people of my age. Oh, look at that. 64. Yeah, 1964. Mm. Jack Hawkins. Oh, good Lord. 
It's on the list now. Uh, yeah, I, I have a look at it. It's um, that must have been one of Michael Caine's first movies, I would say. Certainly one that he, uh, you know, the first one that he would have starred in. Uh, Patrick McGee's there. Oh, there's all sorts of people. Anyway, right, I'm going to stop looking at the internet now because that's not great podcast music. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think Chris Allen Jones must in some way be Welsh. That's, that's where all that's The names from. thing is, it's funny though. And that's the root of, of Chris's problem is the root of mine. It's similarity of names. So, I think you probably know what my name stands for, my my initials TJ, because they are my initials. My initials are TJC. Tyler Jake, isn't um, it? Yeah, so I have compiled a list of four that I've actually been called. One of which I like, uh, two of which I don't, and one of which is just fantastic, but totally unreasonable. Um, none of them are correct. Uh, so there's there's Theodore Jefferson Cosgrove, which is a very presidential entry, and I, I personally like this one an awful lot. If I if I had to change my name to be something other than what it is, that would be up there. Um, Tabitha Jemima was another guess that is sadly incorrect. Um, Timothy Jenkins, another sad entry into the the no go list, and then one of my colleagues in work calls me this every time he rings me, every time without fail. Terminator Judas Cosgrove. Oh, I hadn't thought of that one. I, I assume that's the real one, is it? <laughs> that is indeed the correct. No, it's not. But he, unbidden, chose that name. And I won't call me anything else. Well, there you go. I mean, it, names are, ultimately, they're, the, they're very subjective. You know, what, mm. what, what you call yourself doesn't necessarily... Um, mean that other people will call you that. Yeah, what his wife called him was an awful lot worse. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you went to a, a boarding school, you know, uh, you didn't have any choice in what your name was. Other people decided that for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure it was the same with playgrounds everywhere. Yeah, secondary school, I went by Cosgrove. No one called me by my first name or indeed a, a contraction of my first name. It was always surname-based. Uh-huh. And that was very, very common for a long, long time. So I'm going to bury the lead here. I'm not going to tell you what it is, even though I think you know, but I'm not going to tell the audience what my actual Mm -hmm. initials stand for. Um, I'm just going to talk about why I went with initials because it wasn't, I wasn't always TJ. I think my granddad called me TJ when I was a kid um, just because it was a thing that he did. But um, I went by my first name for a long, long time and Megan still calls me by first name. And her family and my family all still call me by my first name. And I, I chose to go with the initials in university. Okay. And it's because in in school I had a lot of people with the same first name as me. And so you ended up being, uh, it's the same thing with the Jones and the number. You end up being uh, uh, one of a limited edition. And I didn't like that. I wanted to be an edition of one. Uh, I didn't like being such and such two or such and such three or such and such Cosgrove. You know, it was always... Uh, you, you ended up with first name and then first letter of your surname. So it'd be something, something, C, every time, no matter what, even though that wasn't technically my name and no one else had to have it. So I, I didn't like that as a kid. I didn't like that it was it was messy. It, was, it wasn't neat. It wasn't easy. You know, I just, I didn't like it. Um, so when I went to university, I had an opportunity to go, okay, well, I'm literally introducing myself to a whole new set of people here. I can decide that. Uh, so I decided TJ 
because TJ is relatively niche. It's uh, a well-known uh, cartoon character if you were born in the 90s, uh, TJ Detweiler, and presumably others if you were born before the 90s. Um, and so it was a good name that I liked and that wasn't disingenuous because it is my initials. It's not like I'm going, hey, call me Funko or something <laughs> weird. Funko. So it, it, it <laughs> you know, it wasn't disingenuous. I didn't want to come across as being the weird guy who wants to be called like Snake or something. And you think, just, just no, don't, it's not going to work. It's not going to stick. Don't try and make it stick. Um, and even though I chose this name and lots of people went, yeah, it's cool. And then they immediately did it. And let me tell you, whenever you're directing films and making movies, TJ Cosgrove looks a whole lot cooler than a big long name. Just personal <laughs> opinion anyway, but it looks cool in credits and it's been on credits a couple of times and I, I always like seeing it like that. Um, but then on the flip side of this, I get equally as much flack for picking initials as I did for having a name that was relatively similar. Well, And like arguably more flack and more complicated flack. Do you know, I expected you to look like William Shatner. <laughs> What? <laughs> Again, it's, it's this okay. it's this amazing um, generation thing. But if if you, uh, it was nineteen eighty, I don't know, eighty two, eighty three. Uh, there was a the year was nineteen eighty two. There was a show called TJ Hooker. Yeah, uh, it's an American cop show uh, with William Shatner in the uh, in the title role, <laughs> and. Was he the titular? I I think so. I don't know. But to me, the association was always uh, (laughs) TJ, William Shatner. Oh, this guy, TJ Gosgrove. It it was a great shock to me when I met you and you didn't look like TJ. uh, Didn't look like TJ. You didn't look like TJ Hooker or indeed William Shatner. I'm sorry to disappoint. Oh, no, it wasn't a disappointment. Um, It's it's one of those things, though. It's as you say, you just make associations. I I have a similar experience, if if perhaps a little bit. I mean, Stuart, I don't think is as common a name as 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 many. Um, but bizarrely, I suppose, um, my best friend is called Stuart. Um, yeah, (laughs) which and he even spells it the same way because there's there's two sort of major spellings of of my name. One with the U, one with an E. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he and I both are spelt with a U. Uh, we both um, have very, very strong interests in drinking, eating, and rugby, probably in that order. Uh, we used to play rugby together. Um, uh, we certainly used to drink together. Uh, we, we now do the Camino uh, each year, which is essentially getting together and drinking and walking for a week. Um and and most alarmingly, uh, most people cannot tell us apart when we speak. So, um, uh, <laughs> and when I say most people, I would include our wives in that. So, if we if there was an occasion when Stuart and I were sitting in the front of the car and the two ladies were sitting in the back of the car, they couldn't follow which half of the conversation belonged to each of us. Because yeah, Stuart's talking to himself, and that statement is not wrong, no matter what happens. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, we both uh, we're both mimics anyway, so we we tend to sort of our, our accents mould. He lives in Dublin. Yes. Um. So he's got a sort of weird West Brit. Oh dear, I'm gonna have to explain that sometime. Anyway, he's got a sort of West Brit accent. <laughs> um, I write that down for further clarification. Yeah, quite. Uh, and I've got this sort of received pronunciation with all bit, bits and pieces added in that I've got. So, um. That that's 
quite weird. And for a long time, when we were inseparable, might be over overstating it, but you know, there was a bit of bromance there. He's my best mate, and we would spend a lot of time together. Uh, predominantly in Prague is where we knew each other, uh, and around the rugby team and rugby tours. So, um, for a while, I was fat stew, and he was disgusting stew. I mean, let's. <laughs> not, not get into the origins of those names particularly mine's fairly self-evident um and i suppose the best one is our french mate uh laurent who used to play in the front row with us uh he introduced us to his son as uh his son's called leon he said uh, leon this is stew a big stew so <laughs> th- that was how i ended up getting differentiated i'm big stew um which you know i'll take uh it's slightly less pejorative than fat stew um, and yeah, fairly accurate given that uh, the other Stuart is getting increasingly slimmer every year that passes. He's getting fitter and running further and further distances and I'm getting right, cuddlier. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, I understand the whole sort of, uh, you know, how do you differentiate because for a long time, you know, people would say Stu and the two of us would look. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, what? <laughs> um, and then they go, which one have you answered? Um, but what else? I mean, nicknames, do you, I suppose, you know, well, TJ is difficult to turn into a nickname, isn't it? Well, well, people take Terminator TJ, Judas. which is a short name. <laughs> and then, well, Terminator Judas is a, a rare exception, I think. Um, people will take TJ and extend it into a nickname by going Teach, which Teach. is Teach, isn't it? It's a hundred percent more letters, but, uh, I still like it. It's a, it's a good nickname. It's fine. A lot of people use it. That's absolutely grand. Meg will use it on occasion. Um, but the, the grief that I get for picking these two initials over my actual first and middle name is is almost, if not more than, the grief that I got for using my first name. And so, like, I've had people turn around and go, yeah, but what's your real name? I'm like, well, first off, fine, I can tell you. But second off... But if I cared, that could be really offensive because what if it was? What if my parents had went, yep, two letters, job done. Like, it's not up to you to decide if my name is appropriate for what you think it's going to be. And it's this weird assumption. Like, I I personally am not offended by it. It really doesn't bother me. It's more amusing. But I'm almost like, whoa, don't don't assume that. That's not a. It's not okay to just be like your name's garbage. What's your actual name? Like if you said, "Hi, my name's Stu," and I went, "Yeah, but what is it actually?" <laughs> sure. You liar. What is your real name? You're like, it's a weird assumption to make. And that that was always fun. We were like, "Ugh, do I tell them, or do I just keep changing it?" So there's a brief period in university where I just kept telling people different names. So like, oh, TJ, what's your real name? Oh yeah, um, Theodore Jefferson. Oh wow, yeah. What's your name? Oh, Tabitha Jemima. Yeah, I can see why you went with TJ. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, and just different. And then they come around and go, "Do you know Tabitha? Who the hell's Tabitha? Do you know Do you know Timothy? Theodore? Oh, you mean Jefferson? It's just it's a horrible mismatch of names." But then I've had I've had people go as well. Oh, TJ, and I'm like, "Yep, it's TJ." I'll, I'll take the, the hard line of it. Like, yep, no, that's my name. That's my name. And they go, "Oh, so just just TJ?" Like, yep, that's that's my name. Doesn't doesn't matter that it's not on my passport. That is actually my name. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, I, it's it's weird. I oh. mean, it is. Um, I think probably again it's changed because there's a mm. 
uh, there's a degree of assertiveness now. Um, if you look at people's uh, Twitter profiles, they'll they'll um, they'll put their name and their preferred pronouns. Yeah. Whether they want to be referred to as he, she, or they, or there, or you know, um, and you know, for a while, I have to say, the first time I saw that, I thought, what? What does that mean? I thought, oh, okay, yeah. hang on. Yeah, all right, okay, I can see where that's coming from now, I understand. And, uh, you know, it made me think about it and go, well, do, you know, do I care? Um, no, I don't care. If, you know, if person A wants to be called Wombat, then fine, well, I'll call them Wombat. Does it make any difference to me? But that yeah. is me being slightly sort of more libertarian than, than I'd say a lot of my, my peer group would be, perhaps, he said thinking am i being unfair no it's um <laughs> it, it is a very modern thing to assert your own identity and every aspect of your identity uh, as yeah. you choose and that i think it's great but it's also i'm coming at it from a very privileged and, and easy perspective like i took my two initials the two first letters of my my first and middle name and used the first letters as a name i mean it's it's not novel it's been done before rl stein famous horror author did it lots of people do that george rr martin yeah george being uh his first six names g e o r g is an acronym i think it'd be facetious yeah. there mr Col- uh, <laughs> never i would never be facetious. you can't tell with this accent no one ever can um <laughs> but i just i find it again it's another instance of i find this interesting i like the name tj I am in this weird scenario where half of my adult life is spent being called one thing and half of my adult life is being spent called the other. So in work, everybody calls me TJ. At home, Megan will occasionally call me TJ, but mostly calls me by my first name. You call me by TJ. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my family, first name. Everyone in Megan's family, first name. People that know me through Megan first, so they're you know, friends of Megan or you know friends we had through Megan, First name, because that's what she introduces me to them as, because that's how she references me. But then I meet them and I'm like, oh, I don't know you. You're calling me by my first name. That is interesting. And I, it's, I was going to say, do you find it difficult source. when people cross? <sighs> difficult is a strong term. I find it momentarily perplexing. And then I realize that this happens and that it's still my name. Like it's on my passport. It's still like if someone shouts it, I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to go, nope, that's not my name. Um, so it, it still elicits a response, but it is odd whenever you've not introduced yourself to someone and they call you something different. There's a slight momentary, but what? And then I go, oh yeah, of course, no Megan. Yeah, fair enough. But now there's this, this legacy issue of some people call me one thing. Some people call me other. If they ever get in the same room, it's confusing. And then they all share notes and go, ah, so when did you decide to change your name? (laughs) (laughs) It's weird because, um, Usually, Margaret and I will refer to each other by uh, by pet names. I, I don't mean anything, mm. uh, you know, overly sickening, but uh, we tend to use amore, which is Italian for for love. Um, yeah, and I always double take when she calls me Stu. Lots of people call <laughs> You're me <in> trouble. Stu. <laughs> no, it's just it just sounds odd. Um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, in common with many people, if if my full name is used, then I may well be in trouble. Particularly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's a significant other or indeed parent involved, then then the full name could be trouble. Stuart Ponsonby Smythe, <laughs> Cornelius, 
Come here, medium. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to order you a drink based on that. Just just pass that down. down, I, down I, I'll tell you together. another one. Try it, Professor try, Smythe. Try it at Starbucks. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. Oh, I have to. Oh, that, I mean, that, oh my god! Well, there's there's a video. Yeah, w- watching <laughs> the poor person get sorry. <laughs> uh, once more, how do you spell Cornelius? Uh, <laughs> yep. Because uh, Starbucks, you should interesting. Starbucks is one of those rare scenarios where someone asks for your name and then has to visually show you verification that they understood it. Like you know, people can ask your name all the time, and if they make vaguely the right sound, they're fine. But um, so Starbucks is an interesting scenario where someone's like, and, and what's your name, sir? TJ. Yep, no problem. Got the drink at the other end. Look down. Hmm. T-E-E-J-A-Y. There you go, you see. Well, that's a, that's a new approach. Yeah, no, I'm sure it exists. Yeah, absolutely. And it's there's nothing more legitimate or less legitimate you know, compared to what I've chosen. But, oh, just... I need to go to Starbucks and buy. I'm going to get banned from Starbucks. <laughs> I don't think they ban you. I think think quite quickly they go. That's not your real name. And then you go. No, I, go, I am absolutely astounded that I would be treated this way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I suppose you know it happens to Jacob Rees-Mogg all the time. <laughs> uh, you you got to get three or four barrels in your name, and then you're good to go. I, I think it's Duriga. Anyway, look, I mean, the real substance of tonight and what everybody wants to know is uh, is the origin of the 1857 name. So, yeah, well, it's uh, well, well, no, alert. no, let, let me come across you here. Um, I think, yeah, it only remains for me to say I've been Stu Lennon. <laughs> I've been, I've been Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present. In the future. This was 185 7. <laughs>